Welcome to the Generation Hustle Podcast, a show that explores the world of business, entrepreneurship, and culture all centered around the millennial. I'm your co-host, Amin, alongside my buddy, Sheriston. On today's episode, we focus in on the world of journalism and telecom. We always listen to stories journalists publish, but what really goes into a story and what is it like being a woman in the industry today? With telecom, let's face it, all of us own a smartphone today. However, many of us don't understand how these wireless companies and networks actually operate. We explore the future of journalism and how millennials are impacting the way we consume content. And for telecom, we look into reasons why in some countries we pay a lot more on our cell phone bills than others, why it's so difficult for new providers to compete in the industry, and the conspiracy that is 5G. To help us answer all these questions, we are pleased to have Shruti Shaker on the show. She is currently a tech and telecom reporter for Yahoo Finance, and prior to that, she was a senior reporter at Mobile Syrup, one of Canada's top news outlets for the telecom industry. She has been featured on CTV News, presented on Digital Transformation at TechTO, and also holds a master's in journalism from the University of Western in Canada. So without further ado, let's get into the show. Thank you so much for coming. Of course, thank you for having me. We got a little bit of a, a little bit of a feedback about your your career and your progress. Um, so we were really excited to have you on here, um, just to kind of throw some questions at you. Obviously, Amin's going to try and set you up with some some. Not know. really. I'm trying to be as you know genuine and I think, unbiased as possible. Honestly, I think this is a very unique situation that we're all in because of coronavirus right. and yep. having yep. to record two me I, I don't know are we two me we're kind of we're close like kind six of. feet six kind of yeah. 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 yeah we're being safe yeah we're, we're, we, have, we have sanitizer <laughs> it's all good so it's okay. <laughs> just bathe in it yeah, 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 okay. yeah exactly. but on that note like how, how have you been holding on during lockdown and everything um it's been interesting because as a journalist well i'm a tech well i'm a tech writer i write for a living so it's pretty easy to work from home because you can do your interviews at home and it's not that challenging. I've worked from home before, but I do go on TV a lot. I do radio hits. And so those can be challenging because, um, you know, well with, with TV hits, you can do FaceTime or Skype. So it's not that bad, but then radio, you want to make sure that your audio is good and it can be challenging, but, um, it's been good. I think the biggest challenge for me is I live at home and my mom doesn't really understand what my job is. <laughs> We've all been there. <laughs> what, do you, what do you mean? No, you're like brown, you're in a brown household. Like literally, understand. I will be. I'll. My job is to talk to people, like interview people. And this one day, she came to me and she was like, "My God, you talk all day. When do you stop?" And I'm like. <laughs> I talk for a living. Like, that's my job. Yeah, what do you want me to do? Right, right, yeah. <laughs> so it's been interesting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this is what makes me pay for your gym membership and your pedicures <laughs> and manicures, mom. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love her, though. Love her. Yeah, but no, that's sweet. I like yeah, that. I yeah, like that. so it's, it's been interesting, but it's been good. Yeah, so you get paid for a living to talk, right? So how how can you tell us how we can kind of get into that field? Because that's what I want to <laughs> do now, apparently. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's really difficult, actually. Uh, journalism is has definitely taken a toll, and I think the conventional concept of journalism doesn't exist anymore. I think mm-hmm. you kind of have to be uh, really enterprising to want to be a journalist. Like, you have to have 
um, loads of skills like being able to go on camera or being able to write scripts. Uh, You know, jobs these days require you to do multiple things. It's not really your, oh, you're just going to be sitting on a desk and be writing. You know, that's that's what some people think that they're going to be doing if they want to be a writer, but that's not how it goes. Um, And I, I don't think that that's a bad thing. I think that Aside from the fact that journalists journalists are dropping like flies, which is unfortunate, um, I think it's it's important for every industry to go through like a revamp type of situation and understand how to adapt to, you know, what's going on in the in that time period, um, how to adapt with advertising, how to monetize work. Like I think those questions are all trying to be answered right now, and I think it's a good thing, but it's also coming at a cost of a lot of reporters losing their jobs and local news going away, which is really important and stuff like that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So how, how would you say it's changed? Like since you got into where it is now, especially the current situation is it's completely different from mm-hmm. what we expected. But um, in terms of from your entry into the into the field to now, like, can you tell us about any of the changes that you've noticed in that? Yeah, I mean, actually, my entry into the field was very, uncon- well, not unconventional, but very unexpected. Um, so I finished my master's in journalism at Western University, and then I didn't get a job, as most people probably don't get a job in their field right away. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was in, I was a, what did I do? I was a marketing person for this real estate company and it was like the worst job ever um and I gave myself a deadline and I was like I I'm going to get get into journalism within like a year because if I don't I'm going to be irrelevant and it's going to be super difficult for me to get into the industry so I kind of just applied everywhere which is what most journalists do like they apply everywhere Mm -hmm. they'll go to Yellowknife if they need to or really yeah like they'll go anywhere okay it's it's but you get paid well up there well, like, given the circumstances, but like, I hope you get paid well. No, some some reporters will actually do it on purpose. Like they'll go for two years, earn like two hundred k, and then come back to Ontario. Two hundred k. Yeah, like you can you can earn some wow. good money up Damn. north. Like, okay. Yeah, it's it's cold, but worth yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> like you're getting a lot of money, but um, yeah. And then I ended up getting a job in Ottawa as a political reporter for a, a newspaper there. And I was very, uh, that's actually where I started my job as a telecom reporter. My first job as a reporter was being a telecom reporter, and I really hated it. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, okay. I really, really hated it because I, it's, telecom is is so complex. It's Mm -hmm. such a complex field. It's very technical and um, it's, it's really dry. Like it can be really boring. If you're not interested in the topics, and you don't understand it, it's really hard to write something well, you know, with emotion or whatever, like whatever it is, it's hard to, to do a good job. Right. Um, so I kind of went between different beats, if you will. So I started in telecom, hated it, went to lobbying. So, um, you know, what stakeholders lobby the federal government for. Right. Really loved it, but, um, I wanted to keep growing. And then I just started doing more, not necessarily general, but um, kind of like cultural stuff on the Hill. So like sexual harassment, <laughs> verbal abuse. That I mean, kind those of, are important topics. That kind of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I really, I really enjoyed that because it, I felt I was doing something, I felt I was doing what I wanted to do, which was report the truth about right. stuff. Um, but then uh, I really wanted to come back to Toronto. <laughs> So 
I um, and also I was dating someone at the time. I mean, isn't that how it all goes? You that was the real that was the real reason. (laughs) (laughs) I was dating him, and then that ended. And for well, just we won't won't go there. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, but but we I moved back to Toronto, and I I got a job. Ah, as a telecom reporter, right? <laughs> Full circle. We're back, back to square one. And I remember, I remember when I had the interview at Mobile Syrup, and my publisher was like, "Because I thought I was going to be reporting Mobile Syrup. If you guys don't know, is like a very heavily based tech publication yeah. that focuses more on consumer products and like reviewing products and you know that kind of stuff. And they also have a business side of of their website and. I thought I was going to be writing more on the consumer side and like making videos of reviews and stuff. Okay. So, because yeah. I was like, oh, this is going to be so exciting. And my, I remember my publisher during the interview being like, so how well do you know about the CRTC? And I'm like, oh, oh no. <laughs> she's, en- she's entering that loophole. I was like, no. I was like, no. But then I obviously was like, oh, I know so much about the CRTC. Like, I know everything because I really needed that job. Yeah, right. So, uh, yeah, but I think I realized that I really did love um, telecom reporting at Mobile Cert because I was working with some, not that I didn't love the people that I worked with in Ottawa. It's just, I just felt like I, I needed to do a good job in this job. So I was like, okay, let's just buck up and just educate yourself and learn about the industry because you hated it before, but let's try to change that mindset and try to figure out this industry. So I figured it out kind of ish. I don't know. seems like you did. I, <laughs> I, I would say you're doing pretty sure. well. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know. Thanks guys. <laughs> That's great. Um, yeah. And then now uh, I'm a telecom reporter at, Yahoo Finance, and that's um, it's a big step, and it makes me feel great where I am now. So for sure, yeah, yeah. I, uh, so, but I didn't answer your question. How have things changed? <laughs> going back to that, <laughs> no, that's totally fine. <laughs> Remember, I get paid for talking. <laughs> right, so, right. Yeah, um, I would say it's just I don't think anything really has changed. It's it was difficult for me, and it it's still difficult. Um, and when I say it's difficult, I mean, it's just really difficult to get a job. Like Mm -hmm. you really need to know people to get a job. You really need to, like, I, the reason I got the interview at mobile SERP was because I DM'd someone I knew who worked there and I said, I need a job. Are you guys hiring? It's that old saying. It's, uh, not what you know, who you know. Yeah. Yeah. And, and timing, right? Like he literally replied back to me and was like, we have a job for the business reporter, good timing. Like, wow, that's literally how it was. And I can't skirt around and be like, you know, apply to that CBC job because you're, you're going to be competing against like 500,000 people trying to get that same job. You have to know somebody. So nothing has really changed. In fact, it probably just got harder. And that's really unfortunate because not only are jobs hard to come by, but you need to be really good at what you do. You have to be able to do video. You have to be able to do audio. You have to have a good presence. You have to be doing more than just journalism like are you enterprising are you do you have contacts it's just it's a lot and it's not easy so the role has expanded oh yeah and it's not like you get paid a lot like people in journalism don't get paid a lot you have to work your way up or you're working for a big company and they're able to give you that amount of money so 
yeah, nothing has changed and it's just gotten harder. <laughs> so wow. okay. good luck to anyone who wants to be a journalist. <laughs> so I highly recommend you get other skills. <laughs> just fair, saying. Fair, fair. Yeah. So you did bounce around into different areas of journalism, mm-hmm. like you mentioned, um, and covering different topics. So I just wanted to touch on that just yeah. because that has like a wide breadth of knowledge that you had to go through and understand what interested you yeah. and um, what certain areas or what kind of positions you were going to be put into, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so before we kind of like get into the telecom industry specifically, sure. I wanted to ask you kind of just from your experiences through that, um, were there anything that stood out to you? Um, any wild stories? Any Anything that, you know, us... Trolls. Right, yeah, or that. <laughs> you can call them out now too, but like uh, anything that we wouldn't see. I mean, um, I definitely would say like when I first started on the Hill, I was, uh, I have to say... Things have definitely changed now. Um, Attitudes have changed. Behaviors have changed. There's a lot more respect in the industry um, coming from the people that you talk to. Um, And that also comes with like um, expertise as well as um, seasonality in your career, right? Like the, the longer you're in your career, the more respect you get from people around you. And because they know what you do and they don't want to cross you, I guess, or they don't want to offend you or anything. Um, So when I first started in Ottawa, not only was I uh, new, but I was one of a very limited group of people of color. And I was also a shiny, pretty thing. So um, you can only imagine what that was like um, going to the Hill, talking to male politicians. Right. Um, so I, one of the beats that I covered was, uh, I, I would cover parties a lot. I would go to a lot of events, uh, which is really awesome. Cause I went to some really exclusive parties. I've met some incredible politicians and, uh, I've made some great contacts and I would never give that experience up for this story. I'm going to tell this several stories I'm going to tell you. Um, but when I, when I first started going to parties, because I was just such a fresh face, I would for sure say that I was not spoken to very respect, respectfully. I was not treated respectfully. Like I remember, I won't, I'm going to, I'm not going to name any politicians or anything, but I remember this one time I was at an event and, um, I was talking to this politician and I was like, oh, I heard you speak in the House of Commons. Um, I'm new to, the, to to my publication. Like, this is great. And he was just staring at my chest <laughs> the entire time. Yeah. Like, he was talking to my chest. Like, not my face, my chest. He not was even t- trying to no, be No, no, no. He yeah. was talking to my chest. Right. And so when you're new, it's, it's hard because you don't want to be like, excuse me, hi. But I would now say that you should do that. Like if someone is going to talk to you like that, you stand up for yourself. I'm and those kind of stories were like multiple. I remember going to parties and like politicians grabbing my ass, touching the small of my back, like just really inappropriate things that you're just like, what the heck? Um, I remember I did an interview with um, another individual. I'm not going to name who it is, um, but. He's very, very well known in this country. Very well known. It's not the prime minister. Don't worry. Uh, he, oh, he got me excited. <laughs> I promise it's not. But uh, he's not even a politician. Uh, but he's a very well known um, person in this in, this, in in Canada. You've seen him on TV, I'm sure. Um, 
And I remember I had to do a story on this individual and he he was like, why don't we meet for dinner and you can do the interview over dinner? And I was like, sure, because like you get your best content when you're in front of somebody and you there's a lot of color that you get. And this was going to be a feature and I wanted to ensure that I had the color, the sounds, the tastes. You know, if I was going to dinner, I want to describe the food that I'm eating, all of that stuff. And I remember this person drank quite a bit. And then started asking me about my sex life. <laughs> okay, that's uh, <laughs> definitely not a way to have journalism conducted. Yeah, exactly. yeah. Uh, so it was very uncomfortable. And I definitely didn't know what to do. So there was that. Um, and then, of course, like that, those are a lot of in-person stories. I mean, I get you guys were talking about trolling. I mean, I get trolled on the Internet <laughs> A lot. <laughs> I still do to this day. Um, I've always told people don't read comments. Just don't. That's literally what I was just going to ask you. I was like, are you a comment reader? Don't but read yeah, comments. No, you can't. Don't read comments. Don't read. Don't reply to tweets. Don't engage. Just don't. Just don't do it. Just don't. You're yeah. going to regret your life. Right. <laughs> just right. don't. But yeah, I've had people <clears throat> questioning my work. I've had people putting my work down. I've actually had People do that consistently, like certain trolls consistently doing it. Every article that I've ever written, like just consistently putting me down. And it's really difficult sometimes because especially when you're a woman um, covering a very uh, nuanced beat that's very challenging, um, you get re- you get really discouraged um, to, to not to keep doing what you do. But it's in those moments, it's really important to have good like mentors, um, have good managing editors, like my managing editors. I've always been blessed to have really good managing editors and I'm very grateful for their support always. So it's really important to have those outlets where you can kind of talk and say, hey, this is happening to me and I don't know how to deal with it. Can you please help me? Right. Um, and yeah, I can't, I don't know what else to say about that. Just don't read comments. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, for Just sure. Don't. Let the haters hate. Yeah, right? let, yeah. Someone actually told me because um <clears throat> when I started Yahoo Finance actually maybe it was because I was working for a more mainstream publication. Yeah. My trolls grew a lot more. And someone told me on Twitter DM they were like the only reason you're being trolled is because you're doing something right. Mm-hmm. Right. Like you're writing something of relevance and it's good. And people just want to put you down because they have nothing better to do in their life. Right. Unless you're inaccurate or unless your article is not accurate, that's the only time that you have to worry about these trolls. Like if a troll is telling you, oh, this number is not correct and you check back and the number is not correct, that's the point where you're like, oh, okay, I should go back and check my facts. But if your trolls are just putting you down because they just feel like it, that's because you're doing something right. Right. So keep doing it. <laughs> like, right, right. Don't give up, you know? Like, yeah. So, yeah, it's been great. <laughs> I mean, it sounds like you learned a lot through that process and kind of I have. still learning through that process, I would say. I am. It's It's been really exhausting, but I always have to remember that I love what I do and I'm doing this because I've always wanted to be a journalist. So why give up? Like, what's the point? Plus, I don't know if I, I mean, no, I could do other things that are good, but I'm really, I, I love what I do. I don't want to do anything else. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. So now you're here. 
after all these into Yahoo Finance and you're starting with telecom, which you hated. Yeah. Um, I love now. Has that <laughs> sent? Okay, so that sentiment has changed yeah. pretty well now. Yeah. Uh, how long did that take? Um, I would say maybe like, you know what really helped actually? The whole Huawei scandal. Oh, we'll get to that oh, later on. Wow. We will. Okay. We will. Yeah, 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 we do yeah, want to yeah, get yeah. to that. We will, we, we will. But I, I, I was kind of thrown into this Huawei scandal because that's when I had started at Mobile Syrup and Meng Wanzhou had just gotten arrested in December, if I remember, um, and I had to write about this. And it was, it was that th- thrill that I needed to just dive into something. And I had no idea of the relationship that Huawei had with Canada or any of that. So I had to do a lot of research really fast at a really quick pace. And then realizing that Huawei is partnered with TELUS and Bell, but not Rogers. And it's just like this whole web of stuff. And I was like, I have no idea any of this, but let's just go with it. Right. And it kind of just shot through from there. Like I just started getting excited about telecom. I was speaking to people. I was you know, writing about things that I knew I was really not good at writing about, but I somehow started understanding. And I was like, oh, this is so, this is so interesting. Yeah. Like, this is really cool. Yeah. Oh my God. So yeah, I, I guess that's where it started. Started pulling you in. Yeah. yeah. I still love it. I mean, I, I was saying to you guys earlier that like, I, I'm also a tech reporter. So I write a lot about, you know, like Google, Apple, Facebook, um, and now because of COVID, a lot of things like working from home, online work, like what have industries have to, what have they had to do because of now having to work online, like the arts industry or e-learning, you know, uh, e-commerce, like all of these industries are kind of pivoting to that online structure. So I've been doing a lot of really cool features. You know, I, I remember doing a feature about this micro, like super, 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 super microbrewery in Vancouver. And um, they hadn't even had an on like a website. They didn't even have a website. Wow. And they had, because they're so small. Like they yeah. have, they just have such a small base that they weren't doing deliveries. They only had like a small shop that was like attached to a bigger brewery. And they had like a certain number of customers. And I was like, okay, we're just going to keep doing what we're doing. But then COVID hit and they had to create a website for the first time. Yeah. yeah. And it was so interesting to talk to the, to him about creating a website and like, doing sales online and stuff. So my my reporting has slightly pivoted, but I'm still reporting on telecom, but it's kind of like twofold now, so. Right, yeah. sweet. I mean, uh, we as millennials kind of consume content differently as well now. Yeah. So uh, really what I wanted to know, because since you've been in journalism for quite some time, is how has your experience and knowledge of how millennials consume content changed? Um, and what are the impacts moving forward for anyone in journalism or media companies in general? Um, <clears throat> I think what has changed in terms of consuming content is, and I don't think this has really changed as much. I think this has, this has always been a thing in for many years, which is that people consume a lot of content. Yeah, yeah. Um, and at rapid pace. And so that means you have to have articles that are very concise and very easy to understand and, um, you know, written for people who can read content at that quick pace, yeah. 
where they're not really reading articles. They're just skimming articles, really. Like that's that's what they're doing. They're not reading articles. They're skimming articles. And so you want your most important information at the top and then all the other stuff in the middle and then the same stuff that you have at the top, probably at the bottom too, because people skim a lot. Um, so what has changed? I mean, I don't think that has changed, but what I what I think has changed is just um, the the type of things that are consumed. So it's not just written stuff. Like I think people are pivoting a lot more to, you know, like video content yeah, yeah. or um, listening content, like podcasts, like what we're doing right now, right. <laughs> clearly. Super meta. Um, <clears throat> so I think that's sort of what's changed in terms of like what type of co- content is being consumed. I've also noticed that a lot of people are consuming incredibly short content. Yeah. So, and also um, s- stuff kind of like, do you guys know what Quibi is? Yeah. 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 Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> took me a while to understand what Quibi was, but the more I read about it, I don't have, I don't have a subscription, but the more I read about it, the more interesting that concept sounds to me because it's so quick and easy to consume and it's mm-hmm. like fast, but you're still getting content. So I think that's what a lot of people are pivoting to just yeah. like really, really quick content, really informative. And then moving on to the next thing. Um, kind of like TikTok, like you have like a 60 second thing and then you go to the next thing. Yeah. Just swipe, swipe, swipe. It's just like really quick. So I think that's, it's like, it's just grown in pace basically yeah and then to that point the channels that are most popular with millennials right now are your typical facebook youtube um and instagram and so all of them provide some availability of short snippets Mm -hmm. of content um and then i was just doing some research of my own um like an average youth person spends about 4400 minutes on their phone a week Again, we're addicted to our phones. We all I mean, realize that. <laughs> yeah, uh, and, that's true. And the thing is, not one news app cha- uh, like application was in the top twenty-five as being most popular. Mm-hmm. So that would be your typical, like I don't know, like WSJ, like whatever it may be. It's typically these other social media applications that happen to be the number one source for any millennial. And the first content that they consume in the morning is from one of the th- big three social networks. That's true. Right. Right. And so uh, just the ev- evolution and evolving. And you've mentioned a good point about snippets of uh, you've seen a change where people want to consume video content. Mm. Uh, to that point, I've always been I, I love Vice content. Um, it's just me. And, and it's what do you say? Ice? Vice. Oh, Vice. Vice. Oh, I love Vice. Vice. Not Ice. I was like, what's Ice content? <laughs> no, no, no. no I, Vice. I want to know what Ice content is. Um, I, I just feel like given the fact that it's really character driven mm-hmm. in terms of how they produce their content and it's almost getting like both sides and mm-hmm. deep topics which i think millennials are really subject to and love that kind of stuff um how do you kind of see like other companies in the industry like the traditional media outlets trying to compete with these uh i say newer uh media outlets well i'm 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 going to contest you a little bit because i don't think vice uh, what I what Vice is doing is is really great. Um, they're so they're a really interesting company um, in terms of the type of content that they put out um, and the docu documentaries that they put out um, on YouTube. Like they're really short, really easy to watch, and really interesting. Um, I I don't think Vice, and I don't mean this in a bad way, but mm-hmm. I don't think Vice is your traditional news media outlet style. Like y- yeah, they do news. Um, but they're not your typical CTV, CBC, global news. 
So I kind of see news in specific categories. Like you have your main, like super mainstream news. Actually, we can even go further to further back. You have, um, you have your wires, which are basically like, like Canadian press. Yeah. Right. So you have your wires that will feed news to services like global CTV, CBC, Yahoo Finance, etc. Yeah. Um, and then you have services that will take the news that comes out of CP and will maybe do something similar or do something further to that. So that's where your CTV, CBC, global Yahoo Finance comes into place. BNN, you know, your business news, etc. And then you have content and Vice does does that as well. But then you have companies that go further. So you have Vice that will go even more in depth. Like you don't really have, I mean, like, you know, in CBC, you have like the fifth estate and you have other kind of sec- sections mm-hmm. where they do delve into certain topics, yeah. like even okay. more. Like you have, what was it? What was the one? Uh, is it Q? Is that what it's called? I, like, no I don't remember. Okay, anyways, whatever. <laughs> I can't remember what it is right now, but um, it, it, it was a radio show and um, they talked about specific topics. Anyways, whatever. Moving on, doesn't matter. But, <laughs> okay. but what I'm saying is that they talk about, they have specific outlets that talk about specific content. Yeah. But it's not the way Vice does it. I, I, don't, I don't feel like mm-hmm. it's still, I think when CBC will do it, it'll, it'll still be very traditional. Yeah. Whereas Vice will do something very much not traditional. <laughs> like, yeah, I think what Vice does is more so play on the fact of the social media. Yeah. And they pick up content yeah. that is like more going to be consumed yeah. by our generation, yeah. I would say. Um, yeah. And also, I mean, I think... Like, to be fair, I know a lot of reporters that work for Vice and the company hasn't always been a great company to work for until they got, I don't know, are they unionized or are they, I think they're still trying to get unionized or I can't, I don't remember, don't quote me on this. Um, I'm pretty sure they're unionized. But up until that point, like, they weren't treated very well. Mm -hmm. Like, reporters had to do a lot of dangerous things. Yeah, you know what I've always wondered? Like, what convinces a reporter to go to a war-torn country oh i mean i would go to a war-torn country really yeah like in a live scenario that's happening absolutely 100 percent. like i've always found that very interesting of how these individuals have like i guess the balls to do it yeah uh i definitely wouldn't i well and that and just going back to the vice thing as well i mean i have i've i know a really a really really close friend well not super close, but like very close friend. Yep. She's done multiple drugs to write her stories. Wow. <laughs> like she's gone to multiple. That's like, investigative journalism. Yeah. It's the and, best content. Right? <laughs> oh, totally. I mean, I wouldn't do it, but, but like, you know, you put yourself in uh, very precarious conditions and vice has been not been really good about taking care of their reporters for a very long time. Now I think things are a little bit better, but I, 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 think the reason why they're so good at what they do is because they're able to push those boundaries Mm -hmm. and their journalists are willing to do those those things and not that there's anything wrong with it but i think that that can set that that says something about the publication um but just going to the point that you were saying about like why would a person want to go to a war-torn place um you know i did an interview with um a reporter once she wrote a book about the rwandan genocide And she was actually, she had heavily covered the Rwanda genocide and had seen quite a bit. And she, you know, 
told me a lot of really like scary stories about being in Rwanda. Um, you don't do this job because it's glamorous. Yeah. Like you don't, that's not why you do this job. Like you do this job because you love it so much. Every, any journalist you speak to today, you can, I can bet you that they have always wanted to be a journalist and they've always, they would do anything Mm -hmm. to do what they're doing. And it's just like a thing that you have in your gut. Like you, you just feel the need to go to this place and you do that reporting and it feels good when you finish it. You feel really good. And it, it, yeah, it just brings a real, like a great emotion to the person doing that job after going to a war stricken place or, reporting on drugs or mm-hmm. you know whatever it is like it feels good so yeah yeah i think i it's the feel of line like or, why why or, are you uh why are you in the financial sector uh well one i've always been good at numbers okay um do you love what you do i love tech <laughs> um so that's something i okay, love but that, that's part of what uh, you do right yeah so part of what i do is obviously always looking at areas of how to automate things and that involves tech Right. Uh, involves processes. Um, obviously, I don't really relate that or correlate that to traveling to a war-torn country. No, but, uh, I, no of course not. Um, but I think the, the... I think the passion drives yeah, whatever exactly, you're trying to do. Exactly. The passion drives yeah. whatever you're doing. And so what compels a person to join the financial district versus going to a war-torn place, I think it's just what you have always felt like doing or what you're passionate about. Yeah. 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 Okay. And now we've talked about journalism, so we can finally get into some <laughs> fun. fun topics of the telecom world. So, exciting. so uh, we'll be focusing mainly on the Canadian market, mm-hmm. but kind of looking at the universal landscape of telecom. Um, and one of the problems that we all face as Canadians is that we pay some of the highest prices, uh, I guess, in the world. Right. So, um, uh, in the, in the G7. Yeah. In the sure. G7 for sure. Or I G20, think we're, we're, we're the highest, I think. Yeah. We're one more, of the highest. I yeah. Think. Um, and so he, he, this is just some like I, I was just pulling this up yet last night. So I was comparing like flat rate fees across like different carriers. So one in the US, which is Sprint. Right. Unlimited data. And they're all the same phone. So I compared like the iPhone 11, okay. just see if there's, you know, you have to bump up to the next plan kind of thing. Um, America doesn't, or Sprint at least, doesn't have that difference. So 35 bucks, unlimited data. Mm-hmm. Okay. So and then I compared to a British um, carrier, O2, mm-hmm. which is pretty large. Um, and they have unlimited data. They also give you a subscription to Hulu and Disney Plus. Uh, or one of the either um, and it's 40 bucks and these are all converted to US dollars by the way uh, South Korea gives you 100 gigabytes of data uh, it's I think it was South K is the carrier name $45 but again this is like light speed and probably on 5G which we'll talk about later um, and then I looked at Canada uh, so w- one of our cheaper carriers in Canada is Freedom and we all know that right 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 10 gigabytes Right, 10 gigabytes and so-called unlimited plan, aka after 10 gigabytes, your data is shit, um, 40 bucks US. And so I'm just say, like looking at this, I'm just like, why Why do we pay some of the highest prices in the world? What, what are the key factors? I know we have an oligopoly here, but is that the main reason that we pay some of the prices that we do? I get asked this question so much. <laughs> we know it's not your fault, but... <laughs> like so much. It's insane. 
I once did a, a the federal government announced this whole plan to reduce cell phone prices by whatever, 25% in two years recently. And I, I had to do CBC syndication. Do you guys know what CBC syndication is? No. Okay. It's when you go on the radio and you do 13, sh- 13, chan- like 13 radio channels. Okay. So all like basically across the country, you start from the East Coast and go to the West Coast and you do hits just for all of the radio shows. Like all oh, CBC radio shows. Okay, okay. Yeah. And you're basically, I, I had to answer that question. Why do we pay some of the highest <laughs> prices? 13 times? 13 times on 13 different radio shows. Wow. <laughs> all right. So this is 14. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was exhausting. Yeah. <laughs> um, look, it's really simple and people will be like, this is ridiculous. But the fact of the matter is you cannot compare Canada to any of these countries. Mm -hmm. You just can't. It's so vastly different when you're comparing Canada to the U S when you're comparing Canada to the UK, to South Korea because of of various reasons. So the first is population. First of all, we have 37 million people. The U S has 360 million people. Right. That's a huge difference. Mm -hmm. That's comparing apples to oranges. Okay. So that's your first thing. Second thing is um, landmass. Canada is really unique in that we have so much land space, but people are only living in pockets. Yeah. They're concentrated. They're concentrated. Right. right? So you have big cities like Toronto, Vancouver, Montreal, um, New Brunswick, you know, these areas that are really really Edmonton really really concentrated with people and then you've got people who've kind of like gone into the rural areas but they're not as many as you think there are so to try and cover this country is really expensive network wise and then that's what makes you be able to talk to people right like Mm -hmm. having that network infrastructure yeah right those cable lines that you see when you're driving on the road that's what's giving you connection to your phone to be able to talk to people. When you have people concentrated in certain areas, the carriers in the country are going to only focus in areas where there's lots of people. Yeah. That's how they're going to be able to serve those customers that service. Right. So when you have, and so because of that, not only are you trying to cover pockets of the country, but that equipment, the, the the materials required for for those for those infrastructures are really expensive. So to try and cover like the country with this with the infrastructure that you're putting out and realizing that certain parts of the country are not going to be connected or no one's living yeah. there, yeah. you're wasting your money. Yep. Right. As a yep. telecom carrier, you're yeah. wasting your capital infrastructure, right? Like the money that you're putting to build out these network infrastructures. So but obviously people still live in some of those areas. So they have to build out. They have to, like it's their duty to build out and make sure that everyone is able to have some form of connection. Yep. So by doing that, how are they going to get their money back? Right. Your bill. Yeah. Right. So it's, you know, that's one of the other reasons for why you have high bills. Um, and then of course, you know, again, going back to the concept of, like this landmass, why are, you know, not only telecom or cell phone prices, why are they so expensive? But like, why is a plane ticket from Toronto to BC so expensive when you can fly from Paris to Germany for like 15 bucks? Right. Like, why is it so cheap? It's because it costs a lot of money for an airplane to function, to actually 
be used to travel from this part to the other part and carry all those people. So fact of the matter is that it's just that the carriers want their money back. You know, Canadians are going to say, well, that's not fair. Like, why? Why do I have to give money to the carriers? Well, then don't get a phone. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's easy. I can do it. (laughs) So to that point, though, comparing... And I I don't... I'm not trying to defend the carriers. Like, I'm not... I'm not saying that to to say like, oh, like the carriers are awesome, like whatever. They're definitely at fault. They definitely, you know, have issues. But the fact of the matter is that we just have this very unique Mm landmass and population structure that is causing this problem. Right. Um, To that point. um, So in terms of competition, generally competition drives prices lower. We all know that as a fact, right? Mm -hmm. Um, but I don't know if it's still law today, but the Canadian law prohibits any foreign co- uh, foreign-owned uh, telecom company. It's still, it's, it's still, still yeah. so it's still in place. So we know that foreign companies can't come here. And- they they can come. They can actually, uh, like a a rural uh, internet service provider, Explornet, actually uh, got bought out by a U.S. company. Okay. Wow. Um, but the percent shareholder or like the amount of how much the u.s company owns the canadian it's company a minority stake? it's minority stake okay. so that's why they're able to still buy it because of that so um foreign companies are able to come into the country they just can't go beyond the 50, minority 50 yeah basically yeah. so i mean like profitability is always important uh so the canadian telecom companies in uh across the world so this is a study done by um, Oxford University and a bunch of investment analysts so some really financial geeks um, and so they found that across like several different industries that Canadian telecom companies on average had a profit margin of about 46% and compared to like a general company you would probably see like a net profit margin of like 10 or below usually um, compared to other telecom companies across the world they were around 24%. So we're seeing a 20% increase in margin. Again, that might be different now just because this was a report from like 2016. Mm-hmm. But I'd still imagine some of that has existed. Um, I know in other areas like Manitoba, they have, uh, no, MTS got bought up by yeah. Bell. Yeah. So that doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> uh, Sastel. Mm-hmm. And then you have uh, Videotron. Yeah, Videotron. Quebec uh, Core's Vi- Videotron. And then you have... Um, Obviously, Shaw's Freedom Mobile. Um, I'm trying to think. Yeah, but many people don't realize Freedom Mobile. I think it was called Wind before. It was, yeah. yes. Yeah, Wind is actually in the European region. I swear it is. I don't think so. No. I don't know. So. I, I, unless I'm wrong, I've seen sponsorship on like soccer teams and stuff with Wind, <laughs> Wind Mobile. I don't know. So I might be wrong there. But yeah. um, I mean, like, how, how do you like, again, it's just like justifying the fact that in certain regions across Canada where there is more competition, we see lower prices. Mm-hmm. But in, say, Ontario, we only have three major carriers with their subsidiaries that mm-hmm. they're calling off their own brands, like mm-hmm. Kudo, um, well, it's Fido. Mm-hmm. What else is there? Public Mobile. Public Mobile. Yeah. yeah, and those are your discount carriers, but they all run on the same yeah. infrastructure network. Yeah. network. Yeah. And so it's, I just find it funny sometimes. The Canadian market, as it is, again, the landscape, uh, the land mass issue is huge. But if I compare it to Australia... Like, Which is actually probably the best comparison yes, to make. Right. Yeah, yeah. Canada and Australia yeah. is probably the best comparison to make. Australia still on average is about 40% cheaper per like a regular phone mm-hmm. plan. Mm-hmm. So I still think there's a ways to go in terms of our pricing. 
Right. But, so, uh, um, did you ask a question there? No. Okay. <laughs> You're just talking about <laughs> yeah. competition. Yes. <laughs> okay. Um, so, yeah, I mean, y- you are right in that competition does drive lower prices. And that's actually a debate that's happening. It has been happening uh, for a very long time, but more prominently probably in the past two years, um, <clears throat> maybe two and a half years, ever since just just maybe like a year, s- six months before the federal election that took place last year, um, which is fascinating for me because I have never in my telecom career, in my journalism career, ever did I think telecom would become an election issue. I never thought that that would happen, um, which is very fascinating because it's, it's very clear that um, we do pay exorbitantly high for, for our cell phone prices. Um, so look, here's the thing. Yes, competition does drive lower prices to an extent, um, and that's why we do have services like, you know, Videotron, um, Sastel, um, you have Freedom Mobile, but it's kind of, it's kind of complicated. So what competition does is that it means there's more options for people, yeah. right? And so they're able to go to these other carriers like Tech Savvy, Distributel, these smaller carriers, or not carriers, but these smaller service, service, office, service offering um, companies and get lower and cheaper prices. The problem is, is that these smaller companies are not able to compete with the bigger companies because mm-hmm. of the market share that the bigger companies yep. hold in, in this country. In order for them to properly compete in this country, the bigger the argument is that the bigger companies should reduce their prices so that the smaller companies can meet those prices and offer proper competition. Because right now, the offering is that you either go to something, someone that's really expensive or someone that's not as expensive and maybe they're off there again. And it goes back to the fact that when you have, when you, when you're only allowed to offer a certain amount of price for a service, you might not necessarily get a lot of customers because you're not able to generate income to better your network. Right. So it's, it's kind of like a weird circle chain effect of things where it's like, well, the only way I can compete is if I can pay for operating expenses so that I can get it better. But I can't pay for operating expenses because I don't have enough subscribers, but I don't have enough subscribers because the big companies have taken over the market share. So you're in this loop of like, well, how can I generate competition when I can't even compete? Yeah. Right. And so that is actually currently being debated right now in Canada on how can we introduce more competition? What can we do to introduce more competition? Should we be reducing the prices of the big three carriers so that we can foster that competition? So, you know, obviously like that debate's happening. A ruling has not come out yet, whether or not um, MVNOs or mobile virtual network operators like, you know, Distributel, Tech Savvy, like whether or not they should be mandated because mm-hmm. if it, if they're mandated it means that they'll have a chance yeah right the problem is again is that there's no real evidence that mvnos actually creates competition there's no real study or evidence mm-hmm. but then you can talk to the carriers both sides and they'll say no there is there isn't and it's just like a whole debate back and, and, and back and forth and so <clears throat> that is a problem in canada with competition on the flip side you also have um the 
election promise that Trudeau made, which was to reduce yes. cell phone prices by 25% over two years. Yeah. Which would, again, if prices reduce, then competition can can exist. Right. Right? But, like, will prices really reduce? Right. And that's what I want to ask, right? Like, what <laughs> he, there's no, I don't want to single him out, but I'm going to say it's a liberal platform. Right. But there hasn't been much of an explanation as to how that's going to be possible. And obviously, maybe some of these uh, examples that you laid out is the mm-hmm. route to get to there to reduce that price. But do you know of how that is even feasible outside of... <laughs> Again, another question I get asked a lot. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, To be honest, I really don't know how it's fully going to be possible. One thing that we can see is that it's not going to happen over six months. Yeah, It's going to happen over two years. And that's it's going to be a gradual decrease of the prices, um, which is what the innovation minister had said to me when that announcement had first come out. Um, and then... The way that they were going to measure that decrease is looking at the base price of costs for your flanker brands. So the brands that most people, the majority of people in this country have, so your Fido's, your um, Kudo Mobile, uh, any plan that's between two gigabytes to six gigabytes, um, those phone plan prices, they're going to look at the price that it was at from October 2019 onwards so the prices will start reducing or I th- or maybe December 2019 sorry I can't remember the date exactly but those prices will decrease over two years by 25 percent and there's no real policy right yeah <laughs> so the only way they're going to make it happen is well we're the government's just gonna say, okay, well, we we trust you. We trust that you're going to reduce it by yeah. 25%. I have a feeling like, you know, coming from finance, there's ways of like, you know, adding in like little fees and stuff here and there. Yeah. I don't know if that's possible, but I mean, you know. I don't know, but um the way one thing that the minister told me that they were going to do is do like hold them publicly accountable. So having like yeah. a chart or something that comes out every quarter. Like fiscal quarter or whatever, being like we've re- this is like this is our price now. Okay. This is how much we we're charging you now. So you can so Canadians can actually see that prices have reduced, mm-hmm. and they're held accountable that way. But it still isn't a policy that's put in place. And even if it even if policy does get put in place, like he has like it has to go through the CRTC because the CRTC yeah. is who mandates. And so they are an independent body. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So um, I. Don't I've been writing about the CRTC forever, and I still don't know their entire acronym: <laughs> <laughs> Canadian Radio, Radio, Television, Vision, Communication. I don't know something, something CRTC. Right? Yeah, CR, yeah, something CRTC. Yeah. Canadian Radio, Tele- Television, and Telecommunications. Yes, um, I never remember that full name, but um, yeah. So they're they're in, they're an independent body, um, and they will listen to what the government has to say, but they will not be ruled by the government. They have received quite a lot of pushback from the government. So if the CRTC makes a ruling on something that isn't favorable to competition Mm -hmm. or to Canadians or whatever it is, the government can push back and say, can you take a look at this again? Yeah. Because we don't think you did the right thing here. Like, just take a look at it again. And that's happened quite a few times. Um, 
And there has been a lot of like weird tension between the government and the CRTC because of these prices, because of, you know, just so many different things like misleading misleading promotions and like all these tactics and stuff and MVNOs even the reason we're having this conversation about MVNOs right now is because the government pushed back on a ruling that the CRTC made saying that MVNOs should not be mandated and the government said hey just take a look at that ruling again because we don't think it's the right ruling Mm -hmm, like we don't think it's helping the government like the country so then the CRTC was like okay we'll take a look at this again and then they're like okay we're gonna have a hearing about whether or not we think MVNOs should be needed yeah And so, like, you know, there's this weird relationship. So even if the government says, oh, the carriers have to reduce costs by 25%, they can't force them. They can't issue policy unless it's done through the CRTC. So the only that's why nothing has come out because yeah. they can't. They're not allowed to. Well, hopefully we see some type of change, but because uh, it burned in my pocket lately. Yeah, you know, for sure. To be fair, too, though, Prices have actually reduced. Yeah, I've seen it for sure. Like I've seen right. yeah. um, them reduce. And uh, and some of those, some of the promos these days are insane. Yeah. Like I have, I'm on, I'm not going to say who my carrier is. I'll tell you guys later off the, off the record. I'll tell you guys off the record. But my carrier, I, I basically pay like 70 bucks for 75 bucks for 20 gig, 20 gigs. Like it's insane. It's not that bad. I mean, I mean still compared to other countries, but uh, yeah, it's, you it's, know, I, I'm also like, I'm an exception because I'm like a heavy user. Data user. I'm not. I'm not the average Canadian consumer yeah. of like a couple gigs a month. Oh uh, yeah, like yeah. I'm not. But um, prices have decreased. Yeah, yeah. Like I, have. I do agree with that point. Mm-hmm. I do agree. With that, 100%. Um, and the carriers did announce unlimited data plans, which aren't really unlimited, but unlimited data plans for the very purpose of showcasing that they have reduced prices. Yeah, like that was the whole point of introducing them. So just for reference. My phone plan is the same price for half the amount of data. Okay, so is it unlimited? And yes. then you get that shitty slow speed. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. like super slow down speeds. Yeah, that. yeah. So yeah, I, I can't even use Instagram after carriers. it hits that. <laughs> yeah, I gotta, I gotta get your carrier. Switch, after this switch carriers. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll hook you up. Yeah, you. <laughs> I really, I really can. My dad does that all the time. He'll like, he'll call his carrier and be like, "My daughter is a telecom reporter. <laughs> oh, she'll write about you." Reduce my price. And I'm like, you can't do that. Yeah. Like, you yeah. don't. <laughs> like, that is so funny. Yo, don't do that. <laughs> they can probably go like, hey, let's do a little reverse search. And uh, we know exactly who this is. Oh, my God. Yeah, terrible. seriously. I mean, there's only like five telecom reporters in this country. So. <laughs> yeah, it's, let's narrow it down. It's really yeah. not that hard. Hey, let's just look at the guy's last name and then uh, we'll know exactly yeah, who Yeah, and I think there's only one Indian one, too. Okay. So, <laughs> like... <laughs> It's not that hard. <laughs> like, I want to ask you a question about that, uh, the bill reduction that we were talking about with liberals. Mm-hmm. So I want to talk about the flip side of that, right? Because you get a chance to talk to all these telecom providers and the in- like players in the industry. Mm-hmm. What has been kind of their reaction when they hear politicians using that as a I platform? I mean, they're, obviously they hate it. Right. Right? Like uh, a really good example was um, or is their... So this announcement came out in October, the policy decision or not policy, but like the more details of how it's going to be done was announced in. It's okay. You know what it be? I think February right. or March, like sometime this, this year. Um, I remember in December, TELUS had come out with um, 
this stamp that they call the True North Affordability Stamp. And what that stamp basically meant was that specific plans fell under the 25% reduction that the government had wanted. Right. It's basically stating that these plans are affordable and they are liberal-proofed, basically. So, like, if you're looking for a plan that follows what the liberals want, has a 25, is, like, we've reduced the price and we you can see it clearly here. This is what we've done. Um, we have no reason to reduce our, like, we, sh- we don't need to be reducing our plan- price plans anymore. So when they came out with that, your financial analysts like Scotiabank, um, RBC, BMO, you know, all of these people, like telecom analysts, financial analysts, came out and they were like, yeah, this meets the 25% reduction rule. Like, it meets it. Because they did the math. Like, you you can see if you're, if, if it's like for a family of four, for a certain amount of gigabytes, you're spending this much amount of money. This is how much you've spent before with the 25% that we've already done. You're spending this much per year. Like, they, you can see it on the website. So I thought that was really interesting on the carrier's part to do something preemptively before any information even came out about how the government was going to be doing the 25% reduction. Right. To be like, hey, look, we've already done it, so you can't really keep pushing us. And I think that was their way of saying that they're pissed and we're, we're okay, cool, you want us to reduce it? Here, we've reduced it. You can see it. It's like, it's not yelling back, but it's basically being like, look, we're showing you what we've done. Here you go. What yeah. more do you want us to do? And I think the carriers, again, and it has, I'm not defending them or anything, but I think the carriers were definitely very, they're going to be defensive. I mean, why wouldn't they? They want to be able to make money, right? Like, that's why they don't want to be pushed back by the government for reducing prices by 25%. They don't want to have to make more changes to their plans. They don't, they companies, and it's not just telecom companies, any company wants to keep doing what they're doing if they're going to be profitable. Right. Right. They, they're not going to want pushback. They're, want, they're going to want to be able to sell a service and be like, okay, we want to keep doing what we're doing. Stop telling us not to do this. Right. So I think the only way that they were able to push back is by showing that they've already reduced prices. Fair, fair. So. That was almost like a check, right? To be like, hey, look, this is what we did. Yeah. So stop pushing us. I yeah. think it's still smart marketing. And- oh, it's smart. It's absolutely smart. It's so, it's so smart because they were the only carriers that did it. And they did it across the board with all of their um, like flanker, flanker brands, right? Like they did it with all of them. And to be like, whichever brand you want to be a part of, you can find something that's affordable for you. That is genius marketing to me. If I was in their shoes, I'd be like, all right, good for you for doing that. Like, that's smart. I mean, sure. yeah, it's just the evolution of how like mobile, the mobile industry has evolved over yeah. time. Um, and to that point now, we talk, we're now going to talk about the infrastructure and the evolution sure. of uh, <laughs> the world of 5G. It doesn't uh, cause coronavirus, guys. Oh, well, we were going to talk about that, but... <laughs> it doesn't. Uh, well, right. I guess we can get started on that. Then why did all these conspiracies exist about 5G? I mean, amongst them was the COVID-19 uh, stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and then people are setting uh, the towers are up on fire whenever they see uh, them putting it up. Um, and this whole radiation stuff. Uh, 
So you want, you want to talk about that? I, I just want to point out that I find that hilarious that people are burning down the towers and then turning around and be like, my phone plan is too expensive. It's like, how do you think they're going to pay for the things you're burning down? But Yeah. Uh, well, first to clarify, um, the Quebec police has not um, given a reasoning for why those um, those tower fires happened. Um, I remember calling the police to confirm whether or not it was because of 5G-related issues um the reason why there was a lot of relation to 5g was because very similar um burnings took place in the uk yeah yeah and they were linked to conspiracy theories that the towers the 5g specific 5g towers were causing covid19 or corona coronavirus um so there's no relation there as 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 of yet, like we don't know why the two individuals that are held in captive or I, maybe they're on bail. I don't know exactly, but we don't know if what they did was because of 5G. Um, but to answer the question of like why there's so much conspiracy around 5G, around radiation, etc. Um, how do I answer this question? <laughs> don't overthink it. I'm trying not to. Uh, it's it's really complicated because I don't agree with them. But with any kind of technology, you're always going to have people who are afraid mm-hmm. of what that technology will do. Yep. Um, and a lot of these people are, unfortunately, older people who don't really understand the concept of what this technology does or how it's beneficial or how it can grow our economy, et cetera. Um, And so you have like, and we don't even have to talk about 5G because we don't even have all those towers in Canada. Canada. But we can talk about 4G because the same things happen with 4G, right? If you go to like some remote town, I don't know, in Quebec or somewhere where they don't have connection and the carrier is trying to build connection for you because you've been complaining that you don't have connection. And the carrier's like, okay, we got the approval to build this tower here. But then you have an old dude or a woman coming by and being like, no, this is going to cause radiation, blah, 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 blah. Then the tower doesn't get built and then you don't have connection and then you complain. So it's like a whole circle. It's a circle of issues. But I think that's where it comes. It stems from where you have a lot of older people who are just not educated enough or don't have enough knowledge on what. And and the truth the truth is is that telecom is so interesting because it's in the air, like you can't physically see it. Like we're talking on microphones right now, which is a type of technology. It's connected to your laptop. You can physically see this infrastructure being used. But when you're using your phone, like you don't see how it's being connected to someone else. Yeah, a lot of people don't know the back end yeah. of how their cell phone network actually yeah, works. Yeah, and a lot of it is like invisible waves. And a lot of people relate invisible waves to waves that can cause harm. So there's a lot of misunderstanding around like how network infrastructure works or the radiation that goes behind it or whatever whatever tool is needed to function a network there's a lot of misconception but what is fact 
is that anything the carrier wants to do, any carrier, any carrier, if they want to even introduce the new phone, for example, whatever it is, they have to go through the government of Canada to ensure that it is safe. And Health Canada has rules in place of like how much how much spectrum or like the levels of radiation. It's not radiation, it's wrong. It's, I don't know the word, but you know what I mean? Like Health Canada will determine whether something is safe and not safe. And if something is unsafe, they will put a recall. Like, for example, I think it was the Samsung phones that were catching fire. Right. Yeah. They put a recall notice on their website. <laughs> That's good. Let's hope it doesn't yeah, catch on fire. I'm not, not, not an iPhone guy. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. I saw those green bubbles when you were texting me. Gave you anxiety, didn't it? It gave yeah. me a lot of anxiety. Yeah. I, I've, I've had that conversation with my phone too. It's just like, oh, you're one of those people. Yeah, I can't explain yeah. it, but I feel it's, oh, it's a green. Like, yeah. oh, I, I can't I message you. I can't yeah. FaceTime you. You're one of those people. Hey, man. <laughs> I just haven't gotten used to the the whole interface. To being cool? Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> I mean, Clearly. I'm just an Android guy. I've always been. All right. We need to go. I, I think I lost uh, some of my reputation. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Anyways, um, yeah. So, I mean, like, the fact of the matter is that's why there's so much conspiracy around these radiations and causing harm and health risks. There is no evidence that telecom towers cause cancer. There is no evidence. Um, if there is evidence, it's not a reputable one. <laughs> like, ha- I have not seen a reputable source writing something like that and I just think that there's a lot of lack of education lack of understanding in terms of how networks work and not understanding that the government is not going to put you at harm's length Mm -hmm. when introducing something yeah so yeah and so in terms of the evolution of 4g to 5g Mm -hmm. what are its key advantages and like what are the key industries that can kind of thrive on it beyond obviously the mobile carriers Mm -hmm. um and what the impact is going to be on those kind Mm -hmm. of new companies that use 5G to kind of advance their product sets or whatever it may be. Right. So uh, let's take it back for a second because um, I think people need to understand what 5G really is or even what 4G is. Um, So 4G, uh, okay, actually let's go back to 3G. So when there was the change between 3G to 4G, you went from being able to text people to being able to surf the internet um, and being able to like, uh, listen to music online and doing those things that you do every single day right now. And you're like, wow, this is so easy. Remember like back in the day, if I don't know how old you, you we were all the same. Yeah. Day, yeah right? we're Remember back 27, in, 28 around yeah, there. Yeah. yeah. Remember back in the, back in the day when cell phones first came out and you got your first cell phone and your parents were like, don't go on the internet. Cause we're going to get charged like $5,000. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And then you accidentally went on the internet and you'd be like, <laughs> Because you had to like close it so fast because you didn't want to get charged like thousands of dollars. Uh So that was the evolution that took place between 3G to 4G. You can now go on your phone and just go on the internet and be like, hey, la la la, like whatever, who cares? Um, So going from 4G to 5G is literally like take, let's put it this way. Um, Someone once told me that right now you're able to download one movie in a few seconds or in maybe a minute or two. 
when you have 5G, you're going to be able to download like 4,000 movies in like five minutes. <laughs> like that's how fast it is. So it doesn't mean that you're going to be downloading 4,000 movies because that's stupid. Um, I don't even think it will fit on your phone anyways. But Yeah, I don't yeah. think like you don't you don't have that much space yeah. anyways. But the point is the speed and how and the latency. And what I mean by latency is just like um, the lag, the lag. Yes. yes, the lag. So, for example, like um, when you're on a Skype call right now, there's like glitches, et cetera, or a Zoom call or whatever. With 5G, you won't have that. Yeah. You won't have those glitches. Why is this beneficial to certain industries? There are certain industries that can fully take advantage of 5G because of the no lag issue. So some industries that would highly benefit from this are doctors, medical industries, people that are trying to do remote surgeries, highly beneficial. Mm. You can have a person doing open heart surgery from Brazil to someone who's who's getting the surgery maybe in Canada, like literally using a robot on his end, but he, the, the doctor's in Brazil wow. and he's doing open heart surgery and there is no glitch. That's how beneficial it's going to be. Um, I got goosebumps thinking about that. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. <laughs> it's like really cool. Um, and other little simple things like autonomous vehicles or like, you know. IoT. IOTs, right? Like being able to live in a home that's completely electronically connected um, is really interesting. Like it's super, I don't know if I would personally live in a fully connected home. I still like doing things on my own. Like I still like want to go and punch in numbers into my microwave to pop popcorn. Yeah, it's just something we're used to. And like, I'm really used to that, but I feel like our kids might be like, yeah, it's, I think it's a generation. It's a generational thing. thing, Yeah. For sure. It definitely is. But I think that's where, where you can go with, with 5g. And it's not just these industries, right? Like you can have, you could be at a concert, but not be at the concert. Like you can have a virtual concert in your home and not miss out on your favorite artist because you're able to see it. And it's like vivid and it's beautiful. It's like right there in front of you. Um, You can have another really, really, this is probably the best example for why 5G is so good is, um, so right now, the other thing that's important to note is something called network capacity. So what that means is a lot of people are using a network, right? So like, let's say there's a really, like, I'll give you an example. Last year when the Raptors won, we had our um, parade or our, our, what is it called? The rally, whatever, the parade downtown. There was about 2 million people. It still was one of the worst parades ever organized. But uh, anyways, I digress. (laughs) (laughs) So many security issues. I I purposely didn't go to it because I was like, I'm not getting myself. So like... um, I guess I'm undigressing if that's a word, <laughs> but uh, we, so our work where I used to work is actually right across Lakeshore, oh, okay. like where they start yeah, off. Yeah, yeah. And so like our bosses are just like, you know what guys, like you're never going to see this in your lifetime just again. Go. Just go. Yeah. And he's just like, oh, you're not working today. Yeah. We waited there for like literally two hours for like the, the bus to come yeah. through. And it was just like these kids started mobbing in front of it. Yeah. And like, <laughs> I was just like, 
Where, where's like the security measure? What if like some kid gets stuck under there or like, God yeah. forbid, it, yeah. nothing happened like yeah. that. But I'm just like, there was no organization at all. Yeah. But uh, yeah. we still won. We still won. So let's look at that parade for a second. Um, there was about 2 million people in the downtown core, which is pretty small. <laughs> like it's not big, but um, yeah, 2 million people stuck in that area. Um, and unfortunately what happened was that um, there was... I believe a stabbing that took place, right? Was it a stabbing shooting. or was it a shooting? shooting. shooting yeah. Okay, yeah, it was a shooting. And um, a lot of people were obviously scared. They were running around. Um, a lot of people were even just trying to get home and no one had connection. Everyone lost connection. Why? Mm. Because there's 2 million people and all of their phones trying to get connected onto this network. That's a lot of congestion. That's so much, that's like putting so much pressure onto the network that the network is just going to be like, just going to bust. It's like, it's like trying to put like, I don't know, like 20 birds on a, you know, you know how you see like birds on a a wire when you're driving? It's like putting like that wire can hold on to like 20 birds, but then like 500 birds come and sit on that. What's going to happen to that wire? It's going to burst. It's going to cut. That's literally what happened last year. And you didn't have connection for a few hours. And that's scary. You know, you're not able to connect to your family. My coworker was actually, I remember um, that day, uh, some of my coworkers had actually gone into work. So I was working from home, but some of them had actually gone in. And one of them um, was like, my my publisher was like, you guys just go home early because it's going to be like, it's going to be a shit show. So they went early, but like the subways are all messed up. And there was no connection. And we were like, oh my God, like we didn't know if one of our coworkers was safe, you know, whatever. Finally, I was able to get through to her and it like all was fine. But like, that's, that's what happens when you don't have that capacity. Right. 5G is going to change that game. It will help, you know, in the event of these, these situations where there's like large groups of people, it will actually like lessen that stress on the network and more people are able to go on that network and there's not going to be connection issues. So that's another reason for why 5G will be very beneficial. Um, Another really good example is agriculture. The agriculture industry will benefit so much because of 5G. You know, right now you have, I went to a winery um, last year and um, it was preparing itself for 5g basically so wineries right now are super interesting because it's like this really huge mass amount of land and it takes a really long time to go through that entire plot of land going through each and every you know like um, vine to make sure that there's no bugs to make sure that there's nothing going on with 5g you can start using drones to actually be able to monitor your farms and detect through UV or ultra, like whatever rays um, and technology to actually determine whether or not there's parts of your area that needs more watering or parts of your area that has an infestation or parts of your area that needs to be plucked right away. Um, But the problem with that is drones actually can work with 4G right now. They're great, but there's a lag. So if the drone sees a tree, it's going to just bump into the tree. It's not going to know that there's a tree. Right. But with 5G, because there's a lag, it already knows the drone will be like, oh, there's there's something in front of me. I'm going to just move. Yeah, I'm going to be able to move. 
and it'll be able to move and then still be able to do its job and function properly. Right. Um, you can have wine tours hosted by a sommelier that's living in California, but you're in Ontario. So the sommelier would be talking to you through like a, a what do they call a hologram? And he'll be in California and he'll be talking about the wine you're drinking right now and trying, but he's in California and you're in Ontario, which is like, that's sick. Yeah. 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 That's really, really cool. Yeah. So that's another case scenario of how 5G can really be helpful to an industry. For sure. Yeah. And I think a lot of developing nations, especially like touching on agriculture, tends to be in a lot of developing nations who can use yeah. um, that capability. That's their main source of like their income, GDP yeah. as a country. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that I see as a huge beneficial component. Exactly. So like even when we look at that, though, like I, I try I try and compare it back to Canada. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are a lot of Asian countries, especially uh just I'm looking at some examples here. China, South Korea have already established 5G and are up and running and kind of in a good position to show examples to us. Mm-hmm. So, like, what are, what are the things that are hindering us from reaching that, right? Like, when you look at Canada and the U.S., we're lagging way behind in implementing that infrastructure and those technologies. And then we look at these these countries who we look at as developing nations but are already integrated so well with this, mm-hmm. right? So where is that disconnect? And um. I think Canada is a great country and I'm so blessed to be here, but I think Canada is very risk averse. Um, and they generally would prefer to let other countries do something first, mess up and learn from their mistakes. Right. Um, and that's kind of what has happened with 5G, right? We, um, we're definitely a lot behind we're actually really behind compared to other countries, um, which is really, really unfortunate because 5G can generate a lot of jobs in IoT and software development and tech industries. Like it's just insane how many jobs that 5G can I actually have some stats from my good old friends in Oxford again. Um, So they're predicting by 2035, which is still far as reach out, whatever, $13.2 trillion of GDP growth. Yeah. 22.3 million new jobs created. And uh, specifically, if you're looking at the developing countries, $2.1 trillion in their GDP growth. So it's obviously, again, with the times and the evolution of how we use networks and our entire livelihoods around like using network and internet Mm -hmm. and all that stuff, Mm -hmm. it has a huge beneficial impact. Yeah, it's it's massive. And we're definitely far behind, but there's a lot of reasons for why we're far behind. Um, But just going back to you know, why Canada isn't there is I think one of the biggest things is that we are very risk averse and we're very cautious in terms of, I mean, are we cautious in where we're spending our dollars? <laughs> like We spend our dollars a lot. Yeah. So we're still in debt. Our budget deficit's not looking yeah, that good. Yeah, it's not looking that great these days. After COVID. After COVID. Yeah, yeah let's not let's Well, not we can there. thank our kids for paying those taxes, right? <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, but, but yeah, I think that's one of the reasons. Um, it doesn't, discard the fact that Canada isn't a leader in technology. We are a leader in technology. Some of the best engineers in the world come from Canada, um, which is really incredible to see. But because we don't have some of those facilities placed in Canada, a lot of them tend to go to other countries like the US, you know, even Asia or other countries where those jobs are available. Um, But I think that we're getting there. It's just taking some time. 
I don't want to jump the gun because I feel like you guys have questions more, but there are other reasons for why we don't have 5G. Um, we're currently trying to debate the issue of Huawei, which is something, yeah, yeah, yeah. we're going to talk about that. Yeah. Um, and then also we don't have, because of that, because of the Huawei issue, um, we don't have spectrum or actually that they're kind of unrelated, but yeah, like there's also the concept of spectrum, which is um, to put it in layman's terms, all those like invisible waves that you see to function phones, to function technology, they have different levels and you need specific levels to function 5G. And we don't have those levels. Um, those are usually auctioned off by the government. Yeah. And we're going to have an auction in December. I don't even know if we're going to have one because of COVID-19, which could delay 5G even more, um, which is really unfortunate. But because of that, we have to wait. Like The carriers will buy these bands and that's how they are able to function phones. That's how they're able to function 5G and all these are the other things. So you go. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> network infrastructure companies, the most, like, I think, well-known company that builds out these infrastructures is Huawei. Again, we all know like the Chinese government subsidizes them so heavily that it, it really makes it easy for them to build this infrastructure in a lot of countries. I mean, even, even if you look at like uh, developing nations like Africa, Huawei's pretty much built out their entire like infrastructure related to uh, networking just because the whole subsidization, but that's another story yeah. for another time. But how do, how, how does like that kind of impact our relationships with like those companies or sorry, that company specifically Huawei? Um, and are there other like competitors in the industry and why can't we use those to establish our networks mm -hmm. and systems? Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, so why is Huawei so popular? Oh, do we have three hours? Uh, <laughs> no, I mean, if we kidding. wanted to, I'm but... Just kidding, no. um, okay, long story short, we have to go back to a few years. So a lot of people don't know that Huawei actually has had a relationship with Canada for over 10 years now. They came into the country in 2008 um, as a network player to build out infrastructure and help comp carriers with, you know, their infrastructure. Um, and then at the time, they ended up partnering with TELUS. So TELUS is, um, okay, I have to be very clear, and I, I'm going to try and explain this very much in layman's terms and so that you guys can understand this. So um, in a network, you have the wires and cables and the towers that you see outside. And then you have, and this is just like, me trying to explain this to you, but like, it's not like this at all. It's, it's like a lot bigger, but so you have the cables and the towers and stuff that you see on the roads. And then you have your core infrastructure, which is where the most sensitive information of a person's accounts and their data and all that information exists. So essentially when you're making a phone call, you dial a number it goes through the towers that you see on the road, which then gets connected to the box that's in your carrier, mm -hmm. realizes that it's a text message or a call, will go back to the towers and connect to the person that you're trying to call. Yeah, that's that's complex. Yeah. Okay. So, so let, let me try, try and explain that, that again. Yeah, okay? we, we, we take that all for granted, okay. right? <laughs> So let, me, let, me, let me try and explain that again. And this is important to understand because this is where the Huawei debate comes in place, right? Okay, so <clears throat> there's 
see, you know, you know how you see the towers when you're driving? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So when you're making a phone call, the first thing that happens is it goes through those towers, those cables. It's traveling to your carrier. So let's say my carrier is Rogers. It, it's traveling to Rogers through those wires to a box that resides in Rogers in their home, wherever yeah. their home is, okay? That box determines whether or not you're making a phone call, a text message, whatever it is. So once it lands into that f- box, it'll be like, oh, Shruti's making a phone call to Amun. So it will pull up Amun's information, which is in that box, and all that information come back out to the towers that you see and will connect to Amun. Oh. Okay? Yeah. So the reason why that box is important is because that is where all of your information exists. Everything. Mm-hmm. All of your details. The way to get into your phone is in that box. If you want to hack your phone, it's in that box. It's not in the cables. It's in the box. The box has all of your information. Why is this important? Okay. So in the U.S., okay, Huawei is a Chinese company. Yep. The U.S. has alleged that Huawei uses special measures to hack that box and provide that information back to the Chinese government. They're, they're saying that if you use Huawei's equipment in that box, you will be compromised. Mm-hmm. Alleges. It hasn't been proven in court or anything. Because of that, there's a whole debate in Canada on whether or not Huawei should exist because it could compromise people's information. Now, here's the most important part. Who uses Huawei in Canada? Which, in, which carrier? So TELUS. TELUS has 100% of its towers are Huawei. 100% of its towers. All of the towers that TELUS owns are Huawei. Its box, where all your core information exists, yeah. is not Huawei. Okay. That box has other companies like Ericsson, Nokia, etc. Cisco, right? Like there's a bunch of companies. Right. Bell, similarly. Their towers, 75% of their towers are owned by Huawei or like our Huawei infrastructure. But in the core box, no Huawei. Rogers has no Huawei equipment. They they have some equipment, but very, 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 very minimal. Yep. Why is this important? Sorry, I can't help you with that on Apple Watch. Sorry. <laughs> iPhones. Sorry. Or Apple Watch. Why is that important? Because when 5G cap comes, everything's going to be a lot more vulnerable. Like your information is going to be easily accessible. It'll be just a lot more easy to hack. Yeah. And if Huawei gets used, they're saying that Huawei will hack your system. system. So it gets really complicated. It's a huge mess. But because of that, Canada hasn't determined whether or not Huawei should participate in 5G. And we're still debating that because TELUS has Huawei infrastructure. And if they want to participate in 5G, how are they going to participate? Yeah, they have to kind of... Get rid of everything. And that'd be really expensive. Yeah. So because of that, there's this huge debate. And that's also set us back with 5G. Right. 
unfortunately. And would you say Huawei is one of the leaders in building this kind of infrastructure out? I mean, they are one of the leaders. They're also pretty um, affordable for carriers. There are other companies too, like Ericsson, Nokia, um, Cisco. They have 5G equipment, but it's really expensive. And carriers might not necessarily want to spend that much money when they can go for Huawei, which is a lot cheaper. And their equipment is fantastic. I mean, I've been to China and I saw their equipment. I went to their campus. It was insane. Like, it was insane to see some of the things that they're doing. They think 10 years ahead in building out their infrastructure. So if you're thinking about 2020, they're already in 2030 in in their testing and what they're doing. So it's it's fascinating, but also people question whether or not they're using backdoors or not. Yeah. So, yeah. That is riveting. I was like... (laughs) I hope that was like not too... I don't know. I think that was a lot, but I tried to explain it as much as I could because I think this is the reason that a lot of people don't understand Huawei because when people see Huawei, they just see posters on buses. They see the phones. They see they hear the things that they hear from the U S but they don't necessarily know exactly what the issue is. Right. And obviously that's now become a political issue because their chief financial officer was arrested in Vancouver and is now going to be extradited on, or sorry, is, is in court to learn if she's going to be extradited or not to the U S it's become a political thing. Right. Right. And if she gets extradited to the U S um, it could compromise Canada's relationship with China. If she doesn't get extradited, it could relation it could complicate Canada's relationship with the US. It's like a trifecta of yeah. complications. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So how do you do it? We're gonna find out next week though. Yeah. <laughs> Cause she's her hearing is happening on I wanna get to that. Can we take a like 10 second break? Sure. Sure. Is everything okay? Yeah. Okay. I think it's all um... Oh, sure. That's fine. We still have the camera on you, so it's fine. No, that one's dead. Oh, it's dead now too? Okay. I heard that go out and I was like, shit. Okay. Like, we're good. We're I know that one was only recording 15 minutes at a time. Yeah, that's what that's that what I was running back and forth to check because there's no timer on it. So I'm like checking my time and running and I'm just like, <laughs> so, so actually, actually I, 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 I used, used to, to film, film with the Canon and they only do 15 minutes at a time. Yeah. yeah. I, I didn't realize because this took us half an hour. So oh. I just assumed that would be like. Oh, oh no. I hope I'm not boring you guys. No, this is actually oh, pretty actually cool. Super cool. Like, Sick. I can talk about Huawei forever. <laughs> All right. So we're back on Huawei. Okay. Um, so you mentioned the CFO. Who yes. Is- Meng Guangzhou. Yeah. And you said there's something coming up next week. Yes. Can you touch on that? Yeah. yeah. So um, again, going back to the issue with 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 um, Meng Wanzhou is um, she's been charged uh, with 13 counts of uh, bank and wire fraud, um, <clears throat> as well as the company subsidiary Skycom, which allegedly operated in Iran, um, which is a issue when it comes to uh, not working with Iran, essentially, yeah. uh, World Trade Organization rules, et cetera. Um, and uh, and then the company itself has also been charged um, 
they've used they've they've ale- they've been alleged that they've been using a lot of um you know banks to funnel money etc and work with companies to get more money whatever uh so she was arrested when she was transiting uh in Vancouver on the the US basically informed Canada and Canada arrested her um and since then there's been this ongoing relation like strain in the relationship between Canada and China yeah because of the arrest um and so since then there have been a lot of court hearings and next week i believe it's on tuesday or wednesday i can't remember what day exactly but uh the um the court will essentially determine whether or not she gets extradited i need to double check this can you give me one second we can actually google it as well i um i tweeted it actually oh okay so i can just look at my tweet um give me one second sorry about that i am looking at your tweets here you go (laughs) okay so um basically yeah so on may 27th on wednesday um the supreme court of british columbia will will announce uh, her reasons for judgment in the Meng Wanzhou double criminality extradition case. So it'll be interesting to know what that decision is. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I'm very curious to know whether or not she will get charged, um, what charges those will be, will she get extradited, um, and what will that mean for Canada and Canada's relationship with Huawei? Um, I think whatever happens, I, I, I don't think Canada is in any good situation. I think whatever happens, we will have, we will be in a, in a tough situation, whether it's with China or with the U S. Um, so we will find that out. And then once that happens, it's very likely that Canada will make its decision on Huawei and whether or not it will be able to function in 5g. But I actually wanted to bring up a point that you had mentioned earlier which is that huawei has built an incredible ecosystem across the world um in china or sorry in well in china obviously but in a lot of underdeveloped nations like africa you know a lot of asian countries as well um and in in europe as well so it's actually quite interesting because um i've asked huawei multiple times in the course of my career well what will happen if you get banned from 5G? Mm-hmm. And they don't care. Do you think it's because they have enough of the yeah. Chinese market share that yeah. it's good enough? They don't care. Yeah. Like, like they, they, the amount of money that they make in Canada is not even comparable to how much money they make elsewhere in the world and with the, how much money they make elsewhere in the world. They have, they, if they lost Canada, it would mean nothing. It would be yeah. like a little dent. And I think any country that loses Canada on a trading partnership really doesn't give a shit. (laughs) For a lot of things, Uh, (laughs) I mean, it's unfortunate because that's one of the things that Canada wants to be more profitable in, right? And having more foreign investments Investments. and stuff, right? And that's how we can grow our image. Um, But really, realistically speaking, like, it's not going to do any harm to their business. Like, they're going to be fine. (laughs) Like, absolutely. And on top of that, they will still be able to function in 4G in Canada, because they exist in 4G yeah, and 3G networks. Across the other carriers. And yeah. they're actually now pivoting a lot of their efforts to rural and remote areas 
because their network is so good or their infrastructure is so good as that they say um, that they're working with companies to build out network infrastructure in rural areas so that rural Canadians can have access to internet or phones or whatever it is. So even if they don't succeed in 5G, they're doing fine. Yeah. Right. <laughs> they're totally going to be okay. So yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with this entire debate. I don't know. It's been long drawn out. Two years of reporting on it. I'm really exhausted. <laughs> if you had to take a guess, would you say that, where do you see that going? Do you think we're going to eventually accept Huawei and just let them create our I personally feel we're just going to follow whatever the U.S. does. Yeah. Because we're like their puppets almost, I feel. Um, Typically what happens, yeah. right? Like everything. I mean, I honestly, I, I really don't know. I thought, I had a feeling that that it, I have a feeling that it's not going to get banned and it will be allowed to function, but with provisions, which is, which is what happened when it first entered into this country mm -hmm. as a network provider or network infrastructure provider. The rule was that it couldn't be in the box in the core. So any carrier can use Huawei so long as it's not in the core box. Right of a carrier's network infrastructure. And they did fine with TELUS, they did fine with Bell, and they're able to function. So I don't see why a similar situation couldn't be done with 5G. Yeah, exist, yeah. I think with 5G, like again, going back to the vulnerabilities and how it's easier to hack, and it's just like your information's a lot more easier to access. Um, I think that's why people are afraid of, of Huawei coming in. Um, but yeah, we'll have to see. I don't know. We're waiting Something. for next week. Yeah, exactly. See how. Well, that next week we'll we'll determine what will happen with Meng Wanzhou, but we don't know if what the right. economic impacts. Yeah. yeah, we don't know what that yeah. would mean, right? Mm -hmm. So, yeah. But I I don't. I've talked to financial analysts about it, and it's carriers are not dumb. Like they're gonna have a plan B. They ha they have a plan A to Z. Z, sorry, A to Z. I went to an American school for uh, a long time. Now we're Z. I say Z. You yeah. say Z? Yeah, I, I say Z. I don't know. It's oh, Z. Shit. What's wrong yeah, with you? Yeah, oh, I'm another <laughs> reason for why you're not cool. Oh man. And okay, now the Android and Android, Android and now Z. A. Yeah. Seriously. I still say A. After. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You do. Um, but yeah, I mean carriers. They're gonna have a plan A to Z, like for for sure. They're not stupid. They have they're spending their money. They're not they're not dumb. Um, they know that if something happens with Huawei, they're gonna have to have a plan A, B, C, D, E, F, G, whatever it is. And financial anal analysts have economic analysts have told me like it's it's not gonna impact them in any way. Yeah, like they're gonna be fine. Right. So yeah, we'll see what happens. As long as China's pumping in dollars, nothing's gonna really happen. And, I mean. <laughs> uh, but that goes into a very long pipeline of things <laughs> and political issues we probably can't touch on during this podcast. For so. sure. But I think that was a lot of good information. You had me on the edge of my seat, especially with Huawei. Um, I think that's been a hot topic. Goodness. All over. Um, I think I I think I talked my talked your ears off about Huawei. <laughs> I apologize. <laughs> no, I love it. I love yeah. it. I've been looking into it so much too. I feel bad for you guys to edit this, but we'll survive. <laughs> it's okay. No, it's fine. We'll edit that out, by the way. <laughs> I'm joking. Um, okay, so uh, one of the things that we do with all of our guests, it's a lightning round. 
Oh, no. Um, and so... Oh, goodness. I mean, we always like to talk about the <laughs> topic at hand, but we also like to get to know our guests a little bit better. To, is it like time? No, 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 no. Okay, good. Thank God. So I can think uh, about it for a second? Like five seconds. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, so it's time. <laughs> but not okay. not literally time. Okay. okay so sure. uh, I'm going to let Sheriston take the lead on this. Okay. And so, uh, All right, okay. yeah, okay, go for this. it. Let's do it. All right, cool. So we're going to go through some questions here. So what is your go-to glass of wine if you drink sorry i should have asked you that first. i do drink okay cool yeah what is your go-to <laughs> glass or drink of choice uh my go-to drink of choice would be a glass of wine um i used to really like cabernet sauvignons but now i like a shiraz i prefer south australia uh you know what's funny so our last podcast guest said the exact same thing as you. Shiraz? Yes. Okay. It's a it's a lovely wine. It's very um I think Shiraz actually is a wine that's uh is a little hard to like at first, but when you've had your share of wine um and you start to experiment with different flavors and stuff, you Shiraz is a very unique fla- it has a very unique flavor and I really enjoy it. It's lovely. It's very it's just it's just I was gonna bring a bottle for all of us oh. to drink but we have to after drive this, back. but then we have to drive. Back, <laughs> so uh, <okay>. yeah. <laughs> whatever. But anyways, um, yeah. So a, a glass of Shiraz from South Australia. They have beautiful wines. Awesome. Yeah. Do you have a question for? It? You're you're the one leading this. All right. So next question is: You're going to pivot from your drinks to your food. Okay. Do you like pizza? This is not the question. I just. Uh, it's like a leading question. I just had butterflies in my tummy. Oh, why? Because I love pizza. All right. Are you a pineapple on pizza person or not? Oh, you guys going to hate me. I love pineapple on pizza. Thank you. Yeah, really? Thank you guys you. like it too? No. I do. He does. I don't. Oh, yo. We're right? Just, like, thank you. We're just you. like on. I'm just sorry. Pull that back. It was instinct. I'm losing okay, points today. Like left, right, and center. Like. Yo, pineapple on pizza is good. But um, I can also do without pineapple on pizza. Like it's fine. Yeah. It's not a big deal. Yeah. Fair. Fair. I All just right. can't yeah. do it. All right. Um, you have a long day at work, mm-hmm. terrible day at work, mm-hmm. um, dealing with a bunch of annoying people, especially politicians, like you touched on. Okay. How do you go home and unwind? Well, I don't have to deal with them anymore. Right. I, I'm now dealing with telecom people. Okay. Yeah. That's a whole other issue. Okay. How do you go home and unwind? Uh, I come, well, now I'm working from home, but um, before when I was working from an like a newsroom, um, I work out every single day after work. So I work out and then I come home and I eat a really nice meal, um, whatever it is. And then I have a glass of wine. Okay, awesome. So that meal was the pizza and the pineapple and the wine. You just tied it all together. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. That's exactly what it is. Every single day. All right. Yeah. All right. Last question for you. Yes. Who would you say is your most significant role model in your life? Personal or business. (laughs) Yeah. Um, It can be your mom or it can be someone across the world. it, It doesn't have to be, you know. A role model. I don't, to be honest, like, I don't. Should I pull a Matthew McConaughey and be like, I am my own role model? Oh, man. <laughs> and I look at my, I look, my role model is 10 years ahead yeah. of me asking, ugh, what is, anyways. You can't no, steal that speech. That no, was like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to steal the speech. No. Um, I, it's really hard to, to say who my role model is because it's grown and changed over the years. Like, when I was younger, wanting to become a journalist, like, my role model, my role models were reporters that were on TV and people who I admired. Um, you know, I, and I still look up to those reporters. Um, one 
reporter who I still I'm actually very we're still friends and I actually told her that I looked up to her which was a very surreal moment um she's actually a a global news reporter Mercedes Stevenson she used to be at CTV anyways so like she's an example but um when it comes to like my personal life like I look at my dad um who has and my mom but like really my dad love my mom but really my dad like <laughs> I don't want I don't want her to watch this and be like yeah. why <laughs> did you put me as your role model <laughs> like she's like she'll she'll say it don't worry dad's gonna be in the hot seat not yeah. yourself <laughs> but um I I really do look up to him like um I'm an only child and like my dad we moved a lot growing up so my dad was really the one like he became a CEO of a bank. Like he was just like so busy, but he was still so great about making time for me and like making sure I finished my education, like my studies, like he would edit my essays. Um, Like it was just an incredible thing to see him juggle work and his like home life. Mm -hmm. And I really aspire to have that for myself. And then I actually would also say my mom as well, because um, that was when I was younger, but like my, my mom and my dad have a nonprofit organization that they run now. And for the first time in my life, I'm seeing my mom work and I've never seen her work before. And it's actually really endearing to see her work the way she does. And actually even just living at home now, um, cause I was living in Ottawa for 10 years alone. Um, but that was like my twenties. Like, I'm just like going around having fun, like drinking like whatever but now I'm like 30 and I get to see my mom I, I get to see her take care of our home and that's so insane for me to see like that's such an inspiration because I get to I I always criticized her being like oh you never wor- went to work you never did this like whatever blah 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 all you do is take care of the home but taking care of a home is no joke yeah like it is no joke and I look at myself and I'm like, I'm going to have to do that one day. Like I'm going to have to give up everything I care about myself for someone else and take care of a home. Like that's insane. So like, she's a a role model. Um, I have people who are um, like, I have some friends who are my role models. Like I look at them and in terms of like financial stability, you know, I have, I was never really great about managing my money up until like this year touch wood <laughs> please please let that keep that's going yeah, well it's all <laughs> like, of us right now but. but like you know I never really learned how to save money I didn't really understand what that meant and like I look at some of my friends and I'm learning from them mm-hmm. like they're my role model like yeah. how are they investing in better quality clothes and not just fast fast fashion yeah. or how are they investing money in stocks or like understanding what those things mean and being able to have honest conversations with them about money because we are so afraid to talk about money and like how much money you make or how how are you putting that money away like those things are really important to me and um so yeah my friends are also my role models so i have a lot of role models i love it yeah i love it i feel like we talked about a lot of negative things like conspiracies and huawei yes. and all this stuff and this was a very nice way to kind of end it off that yeah off great and, yeah. And on a good note so Thank you for that answer, even though it wasn't a rapid fire answer. I know. I apologize. <laughs> that, that, everything else was fine. Yeah. 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 Everything else was cool. <laughs> it's all good. We yeah. Well, so uh, yeah, exactly. We appreciate the time you made today. Thank and, you. Uh, yeah. It was 
genuinely a one of the coolest conversations i've had <laughs> yeah really um, yeah i know i, I mean my reputation points took a hit I but mean, uh i think i might have to change are you up, a raptors uh, fan though yes, yes okay thank yes. god yeah i have a champs for the record yeah I have, I have a couple of hats at home to prove the point that was gonna that was gonna be a problem if you had said some other but i'm not a maple leafs fan if you guys uh, need to know oh. about that uh, maple leafs suck and they'll continue Ooh. to suck wow uh, hot, hot takes hot takes wow. we'll talk to sports reporters someday <laughs> soon and then maybe you can connect us with them I, but I can. uh yeah and then we'll talk all about the how the leafs are never gonna win stanley cup but uh oh my god that will be on another podcast for I another love it. time. I love it. Wow. Right. Okay. Thank you so much. Right. Thank you for having me. I appreciate okay. it.